This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick White. And this week, we've got a special mini-sode for you. Uh, but before we get to the topic at hand, I need to introduce my wonderful assistant, Mr. Paul Jaceley. Hello. Assistant slash co-host slash guest slash <laughs> whatever additional title he wants to put on there. Um, he, he can be a captain for today. I, okay. It's Captain Jaceley. Captain Jaceley. Oh, fantastic. Captain Jaceley is here. So that's 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 a thing. <laughs> and uh, before, let's... Let's just get right into it now, now that we're clearly nailing this left and right. Uh, so the topic for today, not unlike some of our other past uh, mini-sodes that we've done, is focused around a book, except Paul and I were talking about the book in question, and then we said, you know what, let's actually talk about the author on the whole. <laughs> so this is kind of a hybrid podcast. Uh, we're breaking the rules left and right. Mike Rappin was like, you guys are going to record about a book. And we were like, no way, man. P- power to the people. Mm-hmm. And Mike was like, you guys do whatever. I-. It's like, I don't care. This is this. <laughs> I'm not wasting my time on you guys. <laughs> it's not worth it. Just, just do whatever. Just do whatever. Just don't, don't, don't CC me in the emails, okay? Just, just do whatever. <laughs> and that's fine. So the book we want to talk about is King's Watch. It's by Jeff Parker. It's illustrated by Mark Lamming, and it's published by Dynamite. And this is a few years old, correct? I think I remember buying the single issues when they came out, but the cobwebbed brain of mine can't remember exactly when that was. So, yeah. Well, lucky for you, I uh, <laughs> in my OCD frantic moment moments uh, decided to log most of this so I can tell you uh, the issues came out between thirteen and fourteen. Two thousand thirteen. Yep. Yeah, um, and this is uh, this is Dynamite, and this is, I guess, for people that are curious, the, the premise of the book is that uh, Dynamite had bought the rights to a bunch of sort of... Kings. Kings. Uh, it was King Syndicate, which is a comic book, not a comic, yeah, not a comic book company, but a newspaper comic company, and they produced a lot of stuff in the 30s, early 40s, and they took a bunch of these characters that King Syndicate owned, the Phantom, um, Flash Gordon, Mandrake the Magician, was right? Prince Valiant. And then Prince Valiant. And a few others. And then as a way of introducing them into the Dynamite quote-unquote continuity, I guess, they did this five-part miniseries to kind of get the characters together. That I mean, characters that were never, as far as I know, related to each other in the news strips, newspaper strips. So Jeff Parker and uh, Mark Lamming put them together in this story to sort of introduce them into Dynamite. And um, it's a really, really good book. And I know you just sort of recently read it, Nick. So, I mean, what what uh, inspired you to want to talk about it today? Well, I mean, this all started because of a comiXology sale, which, of course, is how most, <laughs> most of my anecdotes begin. <laughs> why did you end up in the ER? Well, there was a comiXology sale. And uh, why did you end up prospecting? for gold in Germany. Well, there was a comicsology <laughs> sale. Uh, so obviously there was a comicsology sale. That part's not a joke. It's 100% true. And I saw this book and I think mainly the sale was on Flash Gordon and you had been like, yeah, you got to read Flash Gordon. It's so good. Don't remember what I had just finished, but it was, I think it was Justice League United. So I had had okay. some experience with Jeff Parker with that. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this looks kind of clean and neat. Let's do this. So I bought some of the Flash Gordon. And then, of course, they had King's Watch. And I was like, well, what is this? And then, of course, on the cover, I'm like, okay, so there's there's Flash Gordon and uh, there's Billy Zane. 
and uh, <laughs> that's a phantom joke, everyone. If you haven't Smashing seen the movie, yep, yep. you're mad. <laughs> Is that really the catchphrase for that? That movie? was on the poster. If I if, if I oh. remember correctly, that was what the poster said. Smash evil. Well, how, yeah. how did how did they not get more people to see this film? I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, you've got these you've got these characters on there, and there's a some dude that looks like a, an old school magician, and I was like. This looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I need to read this, and and sure enough, I was like, this this I, I expected it to sort of be in line with Dynamite's reputation, and I don't want to give Dynamite a bad rap, but they're sort of known at least until recently. They've sort of been known for sitting on a bunch of old properties like The Shadow, like The Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. Green Hornet, and just making solid bankable money off of them but mm-hmm. not really ever pushing the envelope creatively with them you know they they they, yeah. they knew what they had on their hands and they <laughs> were making the money that could be made from them basically <laughs> yeah um, and that's not to say that's true on the whole kevin no. smith did a great green hornet run but so i was mainly interested because i wanted to see whether or not king's watch could sort of defy the ideas I had about dynamite <laughs> books, which is like they're sitting on old characters making money uh, and maybe not telling the best stories ever. I don't know how much money there's to be made in Mandrake the Magician these days, but you know, nonetheless, <laughs> they had the. And for me, I I really pulled it because of Jeff Parker. I had read some of his other stuff, and I really liked him as a writer. And I thought, well, if it's anybody's going to make these characters, I have never really I I knew by name, but not by reputation so to speak if anybody can make them interesting it's probably going to be parker and, and that's kind of how yeah. i got that's how i ended up picking it up and again i really really enjoyed it and it did serve as a sort of preface or prologue to the flash gordon series that parker did with doc shaner a year or two la- afterwards so yeah yeah and it's You'd think that for a book with a lot of characters that are likely foreign to you, and I don't even mean the ones, just the ones on the cover. There are other sort of sub-level characters in the book that I think for those who are accustomed to these universes, these characters are are, are very familiar. But mm-hmm. uh, for us, it's like, I don't even know who those people are. Yeah. And what's amazing is that it's actually a very accessible read to get to know these characters. Yes. And I think it was a great point for Jeff Parker to sort of take the narrative tonal reins of these characters and say, I'm going to, I don't know, I don't want to say, you know, you know, like sometimes, and maybe this is more of a Grant Morrison thing, maybe it's more of someone else, but you sort of have these these writers and authors that are like, I'm just going to dig into history because this character needs to be <laughs> redeemed or this character um, needs to be fixed or this character right. um, is super problematic and I think I'm going to be the one to, to, to make them less problematic, um, I guess. And... I don't really think that that's the feel with Jeff Parker with this book, and that's what I really loved, is he he didn't make it come across like, uh, these characters need to be a lot lighter, or these (laughs) characters need to be a lot grittier, um, or these characters are super, super hokey. Um, I think Parker sort of took the tone and the idea that, yeah, these characters are a little two-dimensional in certain ways, but... (laughs) but we can build upon that and and simply by putting them in a more modern context and uh you know we we can sort of bounce who they are as a character off of like modern society and sort yeah. of 
tease out. You know, we we can joke about some of the weirder elements, but there are other parts that we can build upon. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, so the 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 elevator pitch or this short summary of the book is that these characters are sort of drawn together by a sort of interplanetary threat. There's this gateway that's opening up on Earth and these invaders are coming to Earth through these gateways. And it kind of forces these characters who normally wouldn't be in the same story, so to speak, come together. Especially the Phantom, who definitely seems like the outsider of the group. Um, right. But like as you were saying, you know, it's 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 a sort of a modern update on the sort of pulpy roots of the characters. So it's an action-based story. There's lots of sort of, you know, pulpy elements to it that fit the characters and fit the time that the characters were created. But the real draw and the hook of the book for me was the way the characters related to each other. And I think that's one of Parker's big strength is strengths is to take a team or a group of characters and really sort of explore the relationships between them and how they interact with each other through the dialogue and through the action sequences to really give the book a a unique feel. And that's really, I think, what this book is an example of how he's able to do that. Totally, totally. I I think you're absolutely right. It's very weird that this team book sort of comes across as basically... A jumping on point you'd almost think that it would be you know read this solo series then read this solo series then read this solo series yeah. but parker really likes to build characters by juxtaposing them with other characters mm-hmm. he's not heavy on exposition um he i i love how at the beginning of the book he he jumps through all these different characters and you're like oh man like we're just going to get so much so much exposition here <laughs> um but instead he really just more or less shows you just a little glimpse of each character and he, you just build upon that like you see mandrake and um he's in his little magic room and some voice <laughs> is talking to him and you get the idea that just mandrake is sort of some magician character with deep secrets and <laughs> the phantom is more or less just hiding around in a cave um with a dog and <laughs> apparently doesn't really like people and so you i guess you yeah, clean yeah. whatever you want from that yeah. and you know flash gordon is you know a thrill seeking fickle trust fund baby <laughs> and um <laughs> and uh i mean i really like that i really like that he basically comes out and says flash gordon's kind of a doofus he really is yeah at yeah. one point, uh, Dale, who's this this reporter, she says, what was it, like, Flash Gordon is pretty much good, what was it, anything that isn't important, Flash Gordon is great at. Right. And there's a yeah. panel of him rock climbing and fencing and scuba diving. <laughs> and so anyone who sort of knows Flash Gordon from, I don't know, maybe experience with the movie or, or, or the comic strip or anything like that, you know, who feels that he's kind of this like dated doofus with, with a weird skill set, um, who doesn't really seem to be honestly that adept at anything mm-hmm. like marvelous. Uh, this book is like, yeah, that's that's actually Flash <laughs> Gordon. Really, yeah. that's him. You know, he surrounds himself with great people, and you sort of wonder if the book's going to take a turn, and then you discover that he actually 
gave up all of his inheritance to work on this project of his and then you're <laughs> like okay well you know maybe there's a little bit more here to work with and and parker doesn't get heavy-handed he doesn't go see flash gordon is this complicated character and he's got all these dark reasons for doing the things he does and he you know he's really you know real intellectual at heart no 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 <laughs> no, no no and that's what i love parker does not get heavy-handed in trying to iron out the little quirks of these characters yeah you know yeah that's a good way to put it the avoiding a sort of heavy-handed obviousness to it and i thought one thing i noticed between this book and the other stuff i've read of jeff parker is his ability to sort of have his writing sort of disappear into the story i'm not really sure how to say it without sounding a backhanded compliment but it's almost like his style is a blank style like it's not very noticeable yeah You, you, you don't hear him, you hear the characters. Exactly. So a lot of writers, even writers that I really enjoy, they have particular tics or uh, idiosyncrasies that come through through the dialogue or the exposition. And Parker, he kind of avoids that. His books have a tone that I think is identifiable as his, but it doesn't change the way the characters come across. They still sound true to themselves. So even if it's characters that are new to you, like these King's Watch characters, or if, if he's writing, you know, the Batman 66 book that he did that was based on the TV show, he stayed true to how the characters talked and interacted on the TV show and rather than them rather than giving his own spin on it. You know, it felt very true to the characters. And I think that's something that's kind of difficult to do and kind of rare for a lot of comic book writers. Well, and it doesn't it doesn't win you any awards, you know. <laughs> if, if if Parker's true talent is his ability to sort of drift into the background and let the characters be themselves, it, people don't really re- remember who Jeff Parker is at that point. So right. it's a it's a, it's a truly unappreciated talent to have, uh, and it's one of those ones that it only it only gets noticed when it's done wrong. Except there are so many comic book writers out there who, you know, their tone, you know, smashes through all the time. And they're frequently, like, I wouldn't say they're rewarded for it, but I would say that they're not admonished for that. Hmm. And I should go on record of saying, and I think you mentioned this as well, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate that for certain creators either. Sometimes that's that's exactly what we're looking for um, when we pick up a book is... You know this character that we love with this author's tone. So right, yeah, yeah. that's it's not a put down of that. It's just yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a put down of that. But it's appreciation of someone that's able to kind of change their style to not only fit the characters but to fit the artists that they work with. And Jeff Parker seems to work with a lot of the same artists, which you know isn't uncommon, but once he's working with the right artist, and you know Mark Lamming on. Uh, King's Watch is one example. His work with Doc mm-hmm. Shaner when he did the Flash Gordon miniseries after King's Watch, which was basically a dream team. You have Jeff Parker, uh, uh, Doc Shaner, and Jordi Belair on colors. Talk about a perfect yeah. you know team. But Parker's ability, again, to know when his dialogue or his exposition isn't needed, to step back and let the artist sort of take the story. You know, the ability to trust the artist. I know Parker actually started as an artist himself, so he, he knows what the artist is doing and what to expect from the artists who are working on his books. But I, I'd always appreciate that I, that ability to just say, like, the story's being carried by the art at this point, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll just let that happen. And, and again, this is another trait of his that 
isn't going to give you, you know, get you any awards. Like, no writer, I'm sure every writer thinks about it, but no writer wants to basically come out and say, yeah, like, basically the artist is is running the show at this point. Right. Every writer, has, I think, has that insecurity of, like, the the one day when the the artist goes, yeah, I think I can do your job now. (laughs) So, um, and and you're completely right. Um, He totally lets the art take hold. And he's working with so many artists that are so clean um, and that are so great at expression. Yeah. Uh, he really works with all these different artists that, honestly, it feels like you know, an animated cartoon so much of the time. You know, like a 60s yeah. or 70s, just clean, um, which I, I suppose makes it so fitting that he went to do um, Future Quest, which is mm-hmm. his most recent project, which uh, both of us are reading. and. Uh, maybe you want to explain a little bit about that one for for readers that are sort of wondering like what's a more recent book that I could sort of get on board with and yeah. when I finish it there will actually be <laughs> more in the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Future Quest is the one of the books that DC is doing with the um, Hanna Barbera characters that they purchased the rights to. So it's very similar in a way in a way to the King's Watch scenario where you have a comic book publisher buys the rights to some old properties and kind of gives them a new modern spin. So you have the Scooby-Doo book, the Flintstones book, and Future Quest is kind of the grab bag where you have all the weird cartoons that Hanna-Barbera did with uh, Birdman, Space Ghost, uh, The Impossibles, the Herculoids, (laughs) you know, Johnny Quest. And again, these are characters that I recognize the names and style because, I mean, I watched fragments of those cartoons when I was very young, but I don't have any emotional attachment to them at all. But with Parker and the artist for most of the series, Doc Shaner, they were really able to just give you like the Cliff Notes version of, here's what these characters are all about. Here's a situation where they're in where they have to work together. Go. And it's a really fun, fast-paced book that I, I think is... I don't. I don't want to say something is old school or retro, or but it has sure. a very different classic feel to it, you know. And I think that's something that a lot of Parker's work has. It's not an homage to the Silver Age. It's not a retro book, and it's not a flashback kind of thing. It just has these elements that feel classic to them. Yeah, you know, I, I would totally agree with that, and I think a lot of that. Um, has something to do with Parker's emphasis on um, sort of closure within a story, but more yeah. specifically closure within an issue, <laughs> which I don't know about you, but I sort of feel that as um, a quality or, or a trait uh, is sort of missing in modern books, and that's not to say they need to have it, but right. that it's something that isn't really insisted upon these days. You know, the more convoluted your plot is, the, the longer you can stretch things out, uh, the better. Yeah, and uh, you know, we should mention that before recording this, you found a great interview with Jeff Parker done by Van Jensen for Paste uh, Paste Magazine, their website. It's from last mm-hmm. summer, but you know Parker makes that very point, um, and so does you know Jensen asking him about it. But the idea is that each issue sort of stands alone as a self-contained story. That doesn't mean it has a conclusive ending because Parker does cliffhangers a lot and he uses cliffhangers very uniquely, I think. But each issue has every element you would want. It would have you know a quiet moment, it would have an exposition moment, big action sequence, a, a sort of lighthearted humorous moment, and it it's all there. So you never have a, an issue that sort of feels like a placeholder or just waiting for 
something to happen or it's one tone. Like each issue has multiple different scenes and tones throughout it, which actually makes a 20 or 22 page comic feel a lot longer and more satisfying. And that's, again, that's something that, like you said, feels like almost like a lost art form in a way for a lot of modern contemporary comics. Yeah, well, I I think it's kind of the idea, and you see this in media on the whole these days, that serialized is the way to go, and episodic is like a dirty word. Like, (laughs) if you're episodic, you're... You're, you're two and a half men, essentially. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no bones about it. Right. And so anyone who has a self-contained story, people are like, well, why would I want to read that? You know, there's no character arc or, or anything like that. And and I'm not saying that Future Quest is, is purely episodic, but uh, it really tends to, you know, wrap things up and then throw in a cliffhanger. And, of course, Parker has some very interesting things to say about cliffhangers as well. I'll I'll just read a quote here from from the interview. Um, He says, Cliffhangers aren't always the same kind of thing, and in our case, that means not always a life-or-death moment. They can be about a choice to make, a pleasing development that may impact another character we care about, so many things. I mainly think you should leave off on an intriguing point. Readers will ignore them if it's always a new attack that will certainly be survived. Right, And then later he says, I rarely like when a cliffhanger is simply character X shows up. I don't think someone showing up is that sweet a move. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah, first that, off, that's yeah. hilarious. That, that's a great way to put it, because I think that is a common move that you see a lot. And I, I think that's one thing that I always really enjoy about Jeff Parker's work, is that the comics, even though I said they have these classic elements and a sort of identifiable tone or style to them, every issue stands on its own, you know? And mm-hmm. as again, as someone that really appreciates and enjoys reading my books in the monthly floppy format, that says a lot and that means a lot to me. So that's one of the reasons I've always been attracted to his, to his books and always one of the few guys or creators whose name is enough to get me to try a title. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I And, and, and I think... Looking at what he said about cliffhangers, what sort of strikes me now is he also talks later in the interview at another point about how with something like Future Quest, um, or uh, that sorry, that was a different interview, but I read <laughs> another one that was about Future Quest, and he talked about how he didn't really grow up with the show. He wasn't one of those diehard people. Like he watched some of the reruns <laughs> and but he really wanted to make a comic that would be accessible for people that knew next to nothing about any of these characters. And he said right. that sometimes he would uh, if I remember this right, he said he would like show, you know, elements of it to his son and if his son could sort of parse everything together and figure it out, then he knew that, you know, they were doing a good job. Um and I think that that really goes hand in hand with this idea that he doesn't like to slam a reveal at the end of a comic because if if you aren't familiar with the character, what sort of relevancy does that have? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, oh, look, yeah. so-and-so showed up. Well, I don't know who so-and-so is, so <laughs> there, this is you know, useless. There, there is that great sort of, again, that sort of classic old, quote-unquote, old-school mentality that says every comic book, every issue could be someone's first comic book. It could be someone's first yeah. issue that they read. So you really have to make it accessible without just doing an exposition dump. And that's one thing I always really liked about Parker's work is that I never feel overwhelmed by exposition. He lets the tone of the book and the characters' personalities come through through the dialogue. And, you know, 
King's Watch is a good example of that. Future Quest is a great example of that. Uh, the first book I read of his was Agents of Atlas, which came out, I want to say 2006. It was a little miniseries he did for Marvel, where mm-hmm. he took characters that were owned by Marvel back when Marvel was Atlas Comics, so in the 50s and 60s. Oh. So there are characters that were created in the late 40s and 50s. You have, um, uh, let me get the uh, list here. You have Namora, Venus, the original Marvel Boy, Gorilla Man, uh, M11, the human robot, and uh, Jimmy Woo, who's an FBI agent. Characters I've never heard of, but I was so absorbed by the story and the action in the book, they didn't matter. You know what I mean? So I think there's a tendency for a lot of comic book readers to go with what's comfortable. And if you don't, if they're not familiar with the character or a property, to avoid it because, like, oh, I don't want to have to like learn a bunch, or it's it's overwhelming to have to to not be on board from page one. And I think Parker's work is an example of someone who's willing and able to show something new to the reader and do it in a way that's very accessible. Yeah, in a way, he's kind of like a foil to Morrison for me in that both of them are sort of looking back at what's been done in comics before. And mm-hmm. Morrison is kind of like digging back to sort of grab something and sort of tw- tw- sort of tweak it and tease it and deconstruct it. But the problem is that usually this is all being done from the perspective that he assumes the reader knows just as much as him, which mm-hmm. Grant Morrison, that's the worst assumption you could, I mean, <laughs> assuming someone is on, on your level in that mm-hmm. way is just, good God. <laughs> but but I, I, think, I think Parker looks back and says, well, I think this is kind of interesting. I think this is really interesting. Um, and just attempts to make, make it accessible, not unlike what Scott Snyder has done with Batman. But, yeah, yeah. Um, what 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 would you say is one of uh, Parker's works that you would like definitely recommend that we haven't talked about? Uh, I, I mentioned it in passing, but I think his Batman sixty six book is worth checking about checking out, even if you're not that familiar with the original source material, the TV show. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great, very fun comic book, obviously, and I love that Parker instead of sort of doing the tongue-in-cheek, winking at the audience, yes, we know the show's campy, he sticks with the tone of the TV show, which, if you actually watch the Batman 66 TV show, all of the characters play it dead serious. And that's what makes the show great, is like, yes, it's sort of ridiculous and over-the-top and campy, but all of the characters don't don't acknowledge that. They take it very seriously, and that's a hard tone to really capture. I mean, the show loses it eventually because it's that hard to kind of keep... Walk that, we'll keep walking that line. But Parker's able to do it. He's able to actually introduce characters that weren't on the TV show and have them fit the tone. I, you know, I'm not going to be able to remember the issue numbers, but there's the issue where he actually has Bane show up. And, you know, Bane is the least, the least Batman TV show 66 character imaginable. But he makes oh, Bane sure. into like a sort of supernatural luchador, and it's fantastic, and it totally fits the tone of the book and the tone of the show. And that's a book I would actually recommend picking up digitally, because at least the first few arcs, he's working with Richard Case on pencils. And again, Richard Case is an artist whose artwork is very clean and simple. Is it and, Richard uh, or Jonathan? Oh, you're right, Jonathan Case. You're right. Okay, good. <laughs> um and is again a very simple, clean style that fits really well with the the characters. 
But if you read it digitally, they do stuff with the guided view where it'll be a panel and then the dialogue box will show up and then there'll be a caption where it's a narrator from the TV show saying something and then you'll click again and it'll be like another dialogue box. It actually uses the format of the guided view comics really well to mimic the pacing of the TV show. So I'd recommend that. Uh, King's Watch, obviously, and um, the, the, the Flash Gordon series right after that. That he did for Dynamite. Okay. So, any other stuff you would recommend, Nick? Yeah, sure. I, I think there's one that I've read that you haven't, and that would be um, Parker took over Justice League Unlimited um, after Jeff Lemire concluded around issue 10. Uh, for those who kind of remember, this was actually supposed to be Justice League Canada, and mm-hmm. then they were like, well, we can't do Justice League Canada. There's not enough there to work with, and then someone was like, let's let's put the Justice League in space as well. So it's like Justice League Canada plus space, which honestly, that would have been my ideal, <laughs> ideal title for this book, but they went with um, United. And uh, admittedly, I think this was probably Lemire's, for me, it was kind of, I mean, it was his parting shot at dc mm-hmm. and okay. it was not a memorable way to leave <laughs> and i was like oh do i really stick with this book yeah because it was like it was three or four issues that were sort of in canada with some interesting new characters and whatnot but then like it was like a seven issue space epic arc <laughs> with the what are those what are those dorks from space that superman hangs out with all the time the League of... Um, oh, Legion geez. of Superheroes? Yeah, those oh, guys. Okay. Those guys. And I was like, no thanks. I signed up for Canada. Thank you. Sure. Anyway, Parker comes in and absolutely just goes nuts. Like, I, I think, honestly, when he showed up, he knew the book was going to end. And so he had seven or eight issues, I believe. Um yeah, he did 11 through 16, and he just goes, he's like, you know what, this is just going to get f- fucking insane. So he grabs Paul Peltier from Aquaman, his Aquaman artist, and he grabs Travel Foreman, the Animal Man artist, and he just grabs the weirdest set of characters possible. Frankenstein, Sergeant Rock, <laughs> uh, um, the the robot dude from Doom Patrol, um, the one who was like a NASCAR driver, Robot, robot Man, Man, is it? Robot, robot Man. Man. Yeah. <laughs> he grabs Robot Man. It's just Poison Ivy from Batman. All of these. Um, the guy with the rocket pack, uh, sure. who's now in 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 that Death of Hawkman book. Adam um, Strange. I can't think of, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Honestly, he just goes all over the board and turns it into this weird, like time travely, like history repeating itself over and over again, like mm-hmm. World War Two conflict story. Okay, and. Oh my goodness, just absolutely bizarre. Just great use of all these odd characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally fantastic. Um, I, the only difficult thing with something like that is you're saying, well, then do, do I need to read Lemire's run? And uh, I don't know. It familiarizes you with some of the characters that get used, but, but largely... Um, if, if, you, if you read any of Justice League of America... Mm-hmm. Um, was Justice League of America? I think so. Uh, this was the one that was was like this was the Justice League formed to take down the Justice League. If you remember this, so yeah, it was vaguely, like yeah. Martian Manhunter and okay. Star Girl and yep. Simon Baz that team. Uh, they're the ones that turn into this. But that's that's definitely a Parker one that I would recommend. I also love Batman sixty six and 
like you were saying, I'm actually one of those readers that came in having seen next to none of the show and just sort of saw the art and I was like, this looks like a lot of fun. And Mm -hmm. and I love that book because Parker knows you're going to come to it with like some snark and some eye rolling and cynicism. And so he basically goes, look, if you're just going to show up that way, I'm not going to double down and do the exact same thing with the narrative of the book. Like I'm going to deliver this straight. And if you want to laugh at it uh, or roll your eyes, that's great. But I'm not going to basically make you read your own uh, take on it. I guess if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. he's not going to yeah. he's not going to just double down on how you're feeling about it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then as you were talking, I remembered one more I want to recommend very briefly. Um, sure, which I think is a good example of his his draw he made me read a hulk book so a few years ago when they did the whole green hulk red hulk thing that jeff loeb introduced jeff parker took over after loeb left and wrote a book about the red hulk you know uh thunderbolt ross and i can never keep them straight which one is red the one who's got like human intelligence but hulk strength or which i can never keep these he has he it was thunderbolt ross who's always hunting hulk he gets the Hulk strength, but he keeps his intelligence, and he also keeps his mustache when he turns into the Hulk. So, <laughs> but Parker turns the book into this sort of weird team up book where they force the Red Hulk, who doesn't get along with anybody, to work with Namor and Thor and all these random characters to take out the leader and um, Modok. And if you and it's illustrated by Gabriel Hardman, and it's like the most fun. Just if you want a book that just Hulk smash and be angry, it's awesome. It's a really great book, and it's. I would never be interested in reading a certainly a book about the Red Hulk if it wasn't for Parker's name and the artist he was working with. So, if you're willing to track that stuff down, it's a lot of fun. Totally, absolutely. So. I think with that, we'll wrap up this mini-sode for all you listeners. And obviously, if those of you, um, well, for those of you that are interested, we'll include in the show notes links to some of the works that have been done by Parker, as well as the interview we recently uh, just went over. And uh, if you have any other questions about Parker, or if you want to um, tweet us with your uh, favorite Parker books. We're of course uh, on Twitter at IRCB Podcast. We're also on Reddit. Um, we're also on uh, a bunch of other things. <laughs> yes. That um, there's probably an email. That, uh, if you right? go to Reddit or yeah. if you go to Twitter, we have the links to the other ones. I totally saved that, unless they're not there. In which case. Um, Sorry, Mike. We'll I don't. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't rattle off like the seven social media things we're on. So that's that's why Mike's the pro, and that's why that's he's why Mike's here, the so. host. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mike Mike knows all of those things, and and uh, that's why he's qualified. And uh, yeah, so we'll we'll leave it on that. If anything else, think about Jeff Parker, and then uh, think about my qualifications uh, as a host, <laughs> and get back to us about both. Um, that'd be great. Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Nick White and Paul Jaisley. The music in this episode is brought to you by the ever-fantastic Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. 
Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're just looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure you join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening, and happy holidays. Happy holidays.